Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. I'm interviewing today someone from my own tribe, a superstar real estate agent, Chriselle Staus. Now, you probably know her from Selling Sunset, but let me tell you, you listen in for a half hour here, you're going to know her heart and soul. And let me tell you, she's got it bigger than you can imagine. Listen in. Chriselle, I'm so happy you're joining me here today. You're about twice as pretty as I've always envisioned you, and I've been watching. I mean, what happened today? You must have a pound of makeup on that face. What's going on? Oh my gosh, you are so sweet. I have to be honest with you. I'm I'm a little earlier over on this coast, so I, I threw a little self tanner on. I figured I'd shower later, so I'm. <laughs> I hope that's okay, Barbara. No, it's not okay. It's okay to throw a little self tanner on, but it's not so good that you look that good with just self tanner. So I hate you already. Okay, but you're here, and I'm going to have to ask you a lot of questions anyway. Okay, because you made the time. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're the best. Gorgeous as yeah. always. Thank you very much. I'll choose to. Uh, I'll choose to accept that, you know. <laughs> I'd like to start off by just giving you uh, 60 seconds of very fast questions that kind of just warms it up and gets to gets me to know you a little bit better. But we're going to time it on a clock. We got one minute. If you don't have an answer, I'm just going to move right on. Whatever comes to your head. You ready? Okay, let's do it. And the first question is, the first thing you notice when you meet someone? Their smile. What annoys you most? Um, late when someone's late what makes you nervous um when i feel judged if you could time travel what year would you pick what year would you pick 1985 i'm going to go back to that later and ask you why but we're moving on the last time you cried <laughs> like two days ago <laughs> why that too when is it okay to lie um if you're trying to make someone feel better Pecs or butt? Uh, pecs. Worst pickup line? Uh, so, do you sell anything other than sunsets? <laughs> <laughs> Great one. I love it. Uh, food you absolutely despise? Uh, curry. Oh, wow. Anything with curry on it. Wow. Your favorite movie of all time? Uh, Gone with the Wind. Okay, that's it. One minute. We got to know you quite a bit, and you even got pissed <laughs> on certain questions, okay? So why don't we start with that? What were you crying about? Oh, gosh. Why did I? Uh, you know, it's just when you're in this crazy business in the public eye, there's just, you know, people are going to make judgments, and there are going to be rumors and things swirl, and you just have to kind of fall back on who you know you are and what you know you're made of and, and what you know the truth is. And so sometimes that gets muddied and, and as far as like the rumor mill and that kind of stuff. And, and it takes a toll sometimes. Um, but, you know, not you can't sit, you can't wallow in it too long. Then you have to be like, you know what, I know that's not true. Pick myself up and keep moving forward. So there was, you know, the rumor mill is annoying. <laughs> Oh, of course, I would think it would be constant. And the more famous you are, the more the rumors, because the juicier you are, and the more people want to say something, whether it be out of envy, adoration, whatever the motivation, but nonetheless, it's public attention, right? Yeah. 
lean on your friends at times like that? Or do you mistrust your friend's intention as well in giving you a little support? What happens there? Who do you turn to? Well, I mean, I think that's also why, you know, I used to turn to my mom for this stuff. And unfortunately, she's not here anymore. So I think that was also it where it's just like, this is the first thing I've gone through in this kind of a public setting where I didn't have my mom to go to. And uh, mm-hmm. so I do go to my friends, but it's, it's a process of trying to make that transition of, you know, going to my, you know, either my sisters or my friends for things that I used to go to my mom for. So um, it's, you know, it's, it, that's life. Like we have to kind of roll with these transitions in life and, and roll with the punches. And sometimes, you know, I've learned over the course of the years to not sweep it under the rug, address it, feel it, but then, you know, pull yourself together and move on. So would that have been the exact advice your mother would have given you? I think so. I think so. You know, she, um, you know, she probably would have used a little bit more colorful language, because. She, <laughs> but yes, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> First week I was on Shark Tank, I knew nothing about what I was doing and I had nothing to say because I was overpowered by, overpowered by Mr. Wonderful, as they call him now, and, uh, and also uh, one other experienced shark. And I was scared to death and I called my mother that night and she said, oh, you'll do fine. Just picture dad and I on each shoulder as an angel cheering you on. And I found my voice and, and I didn't realize I don't think any of us realize how much we miss our mothers when they pass. They make us orphans and make us like, it's just a tough. I think it's underestimated what bellwether change that brings in your life as an adult. You become the adult, I guess, you know? Okay. Right. What a sad thing. Let's move on. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Yeah, but that, that, that's beautiful. I love that you, that you had that and that helped you find your voice. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I hope. Okay, so I'm going to actually wind back. Um, I never met anyone named Chris Shell. Can you tell me how you got your name? <laughs> I get that a lot. Uh, so uh, this is back in the day when the Shell stations used to go to get your car worked on. There was a mechanic shop next to it. And uh, my mom was getting her car worked on. And she went into labor while getting her car worked on. And so the guy, he was very lovely. I was born in a hospital. I think that's the biggest misconception. I was not born in the Shell station. Uh, but because he was so wonderful, you know, calmed her down and, and got the, you know, the ambulance there, she wanted to name me after him, and his name was Chris. Oh. And so she kind of stuck with two together, and now I'm Chriselle. Yeah, so Chris, for both the place and the gentleman who helped your mother out. Yes, yes. Lucky for you, it sounds great. It could have gone anywhere. <laughs> you know that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, my dad likes to make the joke, you know. He would always say, Good thing it wasn't a Texaco. You'd be Chris Texaco. <laughs> Very funny. Okay. You had a challenging childhood is what I have read. I know you had four sisters and you grew up in, what is it, Draffinville, Kentucky? Oh, wow. You got it right the first time. Yes. It's a very tiny speck on a map. Not even on a map, probably. How many people lived in that? Room? Oh, uh, probably less than a thousand. Maybe a thousand, I'm guessing. A very, very, very small town. Yeah. And what was that like? Um, you know, when you grow up in a town like that, you don't know any different. And so, um, you know, you kind of, everyone knows everybody, um, you know, that you're in a class of, in school, about 22 kids. And, um, uh, yeah, it's just very, um, it feels like in, when you're growing up in a really tiny town, it feels like that's the world until I started reading books and started to read about all these other things and, 
you know, um, it really kind of opened my eyes to the world because if that's all you know, that's all you know. So um, it was, uh, it's interesting to, to grow up in that way. I wouldn't change a thing, but to then go out and kind of discover, you know, and travel and see all of these incredible things. But um, that's why I always like my family members that still live there. I keep trying to, you know, get them to travel with me because it's crazy if that's all you know, you know, um, it just the world seems so different. Of course. Um, I had read that for two of the years in your middle school and high school, I think you were homeless at a juncture and you had four sisters. What was that like? And does that change your view of living? I would think it would have to. For sure. You know, now, listen, I'm over here selling multi-million dollar mansions and, you know, for a huge sense of my life, you know, we didn't have a roof over our heads. So um, I missed a grade of school at one point. Um, we just, you know, it was really hard. Our family was filled with love, but, you know, there was a lot of um, trying times. And uh, and it was, you know, it was really rough. It's even, a, you know, it took me a long time till I would even admit this stuff, you know, because I, I would lie about it so much. And to get to a place in my life where I realized I could help other people if I owned it and kind of spoke out about it, um, it was a, a long journey to even get there. And so it's something that helped form who I am as a person and so as hard as it was I'm grateful for it now because I don't take anything for granted and when I am selling these ridiculous homes um I I you know I'm keeping all of that in mind you know I'm um you know I know how um ridiculous and how all this could go away any second and how we're not promised even tomorrow you know so I just feel like it's really um just ingrained in me a sense of um gratefulness uh to, to just kind of live in the moment and, and to, to have, you know, the things that I do have and to work really hard. I think that's something that why I've looked up to you for so long. It's just anytime I see that in somebody, it's like, you know, there's a lot of work that goes behind all of a sudden now you're on camera and you look glamorous doing these things. There was a lot of work people didn't see to get there. And I really admire that in you. And I feel like I try and do that myself. Well, I'm, I'm admiring you back. And I think maybe one reason it took you a few years to own that story is because you strike me like you're an extremely optimistic person. And I think when you tend to be an optimist, you tend to skate over stuff and move ahead, which is an asset too. You know, you could argue either side of the equation. So I bet that was a piece of it. But how do you handle it uh, showing uh, these beautiful homes? I get that. But what about the client who's a royal pain in the ass, who's bitching about the living room's not big enough when it's 30 by 30, uh, that the intolerant client who is not happy and expects a lot, how do you find the patience to deal with that? Uh, for me, with my very similar background, uh, I was like, listen, buddy, shake up. But I was smiling and opening the next door and whatever, whatever. What do you do in your headset? And do you find yourself intolerant sometimes of those clients? Well, you know, I think it's a bit of a balance. I've, I've luckily gotten to the place where I don't have to work with certain clients if they cross the line to being too abusive. Because sometimes when people have so much money, they really think they can treat people however they want. And so I, I try and be as patient as possible, as long as it doesn't cross a certain line. And then I'm lucky enough to be in a place where I don't, you know, I don't need to work with someone to, to pay my light bill anymore. Where before, you know, it sucks when you're starting out, you really, you can't afford to lose a client. And, um, and my heart goes out to those people because it's like, I, even going back, there are certain clients I wished it wasn't worth it. I, even though I don't know how I would have, you know, gotten, you know, through that month, I think it was better if I had just dropped that client because they can be really ridiculous at times. But that being said, I think 
also I've grown into myself a little more. I think I would be better now at just speaking up for myself than I was back then. And then I just took it and kind of, you know, was kept trying to please them. And I feel like there's something different about me now where I would speak to them and say, with all due respect, please don't speak to me that way, you know, and really kind of stick up for myself in a, in a respectful way that I feel like they may have respected more and it would have changed the dynamic. So it's a little bit of both. It's, um, you know, not wanting to work with certain people that are abusive, but also being able to handle them more. Like now I can kind of put my big girl pants on and, and speak right back to them and let them know that that's not okay. So I didn't used to be able to do that. That's, that's a, a, a long distance you've traveled in attitude there. It must, it must help you tremendously. You know, I, I trained real estate agents my whole life. And when someone was inexperienced and thought they were earning their ability to be with a client or show a, bit, a more expensive home, um, I, it took me so many years to teach people that if you don't like the client, chances are good they don't like you back. You're not going to get a deal anyway. Move on. I used to send people, give them movie, uh, movie ticket theaters and say, you know, just go out and watch a movie rather than work with that son of a bitch because you're not going to make a deal anyway. Just get rid of that. <laughs> and uh, that would like lift them up a, a, a little bit, you know. But how do you deal with the rejection of being a real estate agent? Because it really is you get seven no's and one yes. And with your newfound fame as a real estate agent on TV, do you get a whole different group of clients and do you automatically command the respect because you're famous? You know, I think I've seen a little bit of both. I've seen people where they don't want to take me seriously because they think it's just a TV show and that I'm not going to actually be there working. And then the other side of it is people literally do not care. They want to work with me just because I'm on TV. So, you know, there's good and bad. And, you know, you have to kind of understand all sides of it. And at the end of the day, connect with that client whatever it is that their preconceived notions are about you, um, you still have to prove yourself in the room, you know? Um, and, you know, even if somebody was going to work with me just because they saw me on TV, I, my name is still attached to that listing. I still need to do a great job and I still, you know, want to, uh, you know, prove even to them and me that I, you know, I'm not just a realtor on TV and we don't just do this, you know, and, and then never be seen again. I actually really am in there working and selling real estate. So, um, so yeah, I think it's just, you know, finding that balance and connecting with the client is for me, the first and foremost, most important thing. Okay. Uh, one last question about your real estate position. Uh, do you find now that people just work with you because they want to be with you and they're fake clients? Wasting Oh, a hundred percent. You have to wade through, you know, a lot of people like, oh, I'm, I'm looking to buy an $8 million home in Beverly Hills. And they really just want to, you know, hang out with you and go have lunch because they watch the show and they, you know, they're, they're fans. And so, you know, you, there's a lot of, um, there's a process before I show up of where, you know, we have to qualify them because if I did that all day, I'd never get any business done, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I had a situation where, um, when I was getting notoriety, I couldn't call it fame in my own local market of New York City where I was building my business. I had a very rich guy say he only wanted to see penthouses, only Park Fifth, Central Park West, only that, and he had to spend over five million. In its day, today it's like the equivalent of 20 million. And after I trucked him all over town, we were supposed to meet the next day to continue the search, he left for me on my steps on my little walk-up apartment, a big bag of apples with a note, thanks for the fun. <laughs> That was a bag of apples. I'm like, that's. I want to kill the guy. 
But I went on and showed other apartments the next morning, as you always must, you know, get on with the show, on and on and on. Oh, yes. I've wasted so – that's one of the things real estate agents. It's like, wow, you really waste so much time of the people that are kicking tires or, you know, especially also being on TV because you, then you get it twice, like more than double the people that are yeah. – <laughs> Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love. Now let's get back to the show. So you moved to LA. What was that like? What got you there in the first place? It's not exactly next so, door to Kentucky. No, no. I, I grew up, I wanted to be on a soap opera, and that was like my dream. So when I moved to LA, um, I started waiting tables at Tony Roma's and, you know, serving ribs. I worked there for about a year. And then I got a job on all my children. I went to New York. So I lived in New York for five years. Um, I was on that show. So that was really a dream come true for me at the time. Um, but that's, but that's what made me move to LA. I was a little girl from a little town that was doing my hair flips in the mirror saying, I want to be on a soap opera. <laughs> Crazy. Why a soap opera? I don't think most little girls grow up saying, I want to be on a soap opera. Maybe I want to be an actress, but why a soap opera? For me, it was both what my grandma and my mom watched, and we watched them together. And I was this kid growing up, the poorest kid. We didn't know it, you know, it was made fun of in school, was certainly not popular, did not have the cool clothes. And I would watch these shows with my mom and my grandma, and they were the most glamorous, beautiful women I'd ever seen. And I just wanted to be one of them. And um, you know, and, and escape this life of this, <laughs> uh, you know, very unpopular uh, kid at school. So I think that, you know, and I would just watch them and emulate the way they would talk and the way they would turn. There was just something about it. I think that also speaks to why Gone with the Wind is one of my favorite movies. There's just something about that, that whole thing that I, I really took to and really left a huge impression on me, obviously, because now I've been doing soap since 2005, I think. So uh, it's been a long journey for me. But uh, but yeah, I think that's why I connected with them. You know, and now you're living the life that you envision. Pretty remarkable when you really pause. If you ever do, you probably don't pause much and think about it, right? Yeah. No, I absolutely do. I, th I think I, it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing of what I had my mind set on wanting to do and what I've accomplished. It's, it's crazy. I'm so grateful. It's, yeah. I don't even know. Sometimes even I'm like, I can't, this sounds fake. I can't believe it. So you were on uh, for, I forget how many years, quite a few years, over 500 episodes. I remember reading that. And you were on the set when the, when the show ended, which was anticipated. But what was that like? Was that like a funeral or a celebration? It must have been a weird reality that day. It, you know, it, it was a little bit of both, you know, because of course you're grateful that it happened. Uh, but of course it was a family at that point. I mean, we, I feel like I grew up with those people. So it was also a lot of sadness, you know, just because there's a, there's also the unknown. So I think with anything in life, you have to, you know, um, not deny any of those things. It, it was all of those things. It was wonderful. It was heartbreaking. It was um, a little exhilarating of what does that mean? What's next? Terrifying what's next, you know? So um, just a lot of emotions, but at the end of the day, it was such a beautiful chapter in my life. I'm still such close friends with so many of those people that I, um, grew up with on that set. And so, um, it, it will always be my favorite job I've ever had. 
you uh, saw that job then as scary to leave, but then this year you, you won an Emmy or you were nominated for an Emmy. And when you heard that news, where were you and what did you think right away? <laughs> um, you know, gosh, it's just so crazy because, um, yeah, I, I think I was so flattered because, you know, I've been doing it for so long that um, I really kind of, I don't know, I guess you feel like when I, all of those different um, uh, times pass, you don't get it, you don't get it. You do, I just kind of stopped um, thinking that was going to be something that, you know, I, I that would happen for me. It was, you know, and so for that to happen this late in the game, I mean, I, you know, I thought after, after 35 and so you don't work anymore. And so for me to be the oldest I am in my career, to still be working, to then get the highest accolade in the genre that I've ever had, I, I can't even tell you how exciting that was. I, um, it just felt not only, listen, I know it's, you know, we shouldn't be looking for validation in those forms, but to love a genre as much as I do and to put so much care and, and love into what I do to have that, um, it was, it was just really wonderful. Listen, in the entertainment field, it's the only opportunity to get an A on a report card. I think it's so <laughs> you need the accolades. It's like it's official that you're great at what you do by your peers, by the way. I think a it's report card. I like that. That's that's, that's great. Report card, you know. But what happened in your two broke girls audition? So now you were nominated for an Emmy, but take me back. You go to an audition for two broke girls and what went wrong? Oh my gosh, how did you find this? This is so funny. <laughs> wow, this is hilarious. Yeah, I bombed that audition so bad, like like sitcom worthy bad. Yeah. I I think I remember um getting so excited because you know it was obviously, as you know, now it ended up being a huge show. So it was you could tell when you got the audition, you knew it was a big deal. And I it was supposed to be funny. This character was so hilarious. And um but I got really nervous and there's no way to have that levity and that lightness and just kind of go with the flow feeling that the character should have when you are so terrified and nervous. And at one point I dropped my papers in the middle of the scene all over the floor. And again, it's, it goes back to the way I was speaking, how I used to be in real estate. I just wasn't sure of myself. I didn't know what I was doing at every moment. I'm looking to see if, uh, you know, and, as opposed to now where it's like, you know, you try your best, do your best. I'm here to, you know, have fun and then move on. And you end up doing a lot better that way when you know who you are. But in this moment, I picked up the papers. I looked at her kind of waiting to see what I should do. And she just like looked at me and shook her head. <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of snuck out of the room, like, like tail between legs. Was it, did anything good come out of that? No, no, nothing just a bomb, right? <laughs> you know, I get, yeah, I guess if, if anything, if I'm trying to find a positive, just, you know, I, I got a funny story out of it. I laugh about it to this day. And um, I know what not to do in an audition. <laughs> Staple your papers together. Then you were able to ace it on uh, Selling Sunset, right? And I understand that when you were asked to walk in and start that show, you had no advance warning. You were just dropped in and asked to perform. Am I exaggerating that? How did you pull that out? No, well, so the company itself, were all they all work together, and I was asked to join the company that would be the show, me actually walking in and joining. So I didn't know what to expect when I walked in. Um, you know, the cameras held us away from each other until the actual moment of, you know, walking in and meeting them. So what you see on the show is really the first time I'm meeting everyone. And, um, and so, 
you know, they're cast of characters. I mean, um, so it was unlike the real estate office I had come from. It was, you know, where there were like cubicles and everyone kind of was lovely and kind of kept it themselves. This office was so different than that. (laughs) Yeah. So I just had to kind of, uh, kind of roll with the punches. If you see the show, you know, sometimes I do it well, sometimes I do not. (laughs) You kind of get to watch that whole process. What, what do you make of the obsessed fans? I mean, it's not just that they're avid fans, they're obsessed. What, what is it about the show and what is it about you that gets them so hyper, hyper excited about everything? I mean, it's almost like their life is your life, they're living through you. What happens that creates that to happen? It doesn't happen on all the shows, as you well know. Yeah, well, I think, so Adam DeBello is our creator and he's the creator that, uh, that brought us the hills. And so I think he has a great, he does a great job of being able to, you know, uh, I feel like he uses me to, like, we saw the Oppenheim group through my eyes. And so I feel like people kind of connect with me now and they feel like, you know, if anything, I've kind of brought them along because we've grown up together at this point. They saw me fail so many times. They see me succeed so many times. And also the show gives you all those juicy things that you want. You know, it's real estate that's so fun to watch. But it's also got the drama that I hate, but, you know, I get it. As a viewer, it's really fun to watch that. So I think it's just kind of got all different elements. And then you've got the other cast members that, you know, they're, they're lightning rod personalities. Everyone is so different. And um, I just think it makes for a fun TV show. But then also, you know, we're real people. You've heard my background. So I feel like it, it's just got those different elements where it's not just people being crazy reality people it's a little mix of all these people from all these different places working together and I feel like it makes for a a a fun dynamic do you think all the drama is drama that they have on the show is born out of the natural personality of the players or yeah because a lot of the drama happens when we're not filming we're not filming right now there's always something going on so it almost doesn't even matter when they fire up those cameras because with these group of personalities um you know, unfortunately, we we try as hard as we can to work well together. And for the most part, we do. It's just, you know, when you when you have people working at this level of success with those big personalities, you know, it's just bound to not everything goes so well all the time. <laughs> Chriselle, do you think uh, your competitiveness is a big piece of your personality? Do you think of yourself as a competitive individual? I think I have a quiet competitiveness to me like I don't lead with it I don't go around you like oh she's going down this this that uh but but within myself to get where I am I've always had to really believe in myself and and quietly because I remember when I would tell people what I wanted to do they would laugh at me and so I've just always quietly known what my goals are in my head and strive for those things but I don't lead with that verbally a lot of times so I feel like uh you know because in the in the in the scope of this these personalities I work with, I feel like, of course, I want to succeed. But the last thing I want to do is go around talking about, you know, any kind of competitive stuff, or I'm going to get that listing, because it's just going to make it worse. If I want that listing, I'll just try and think of it myself and get it. But I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to go around, you know, saying anything like that. So and in your real life of getting the listing and closing the deal, uh, are you hyper aware of who's on your left and who's on your right and who's doing better? Or can you turn that off and just totally focus on you doing a good job? Because I've found the years I've been in the business, all my superstars 
were like competitive racehorses. They were workhorses too. They worked like crazy. But that competitive component I learned to respect as key uh, to really getting somebody to be top of their trade. Do you find that's a part of you in your day-to-day dealings? Are you hyper aware of who's got the big deal, who's doing what, or do you, are you able to eliminate that? Well, you know, there's this famous photo and it's Michael Phelps going, you know, he's about to win and his competitors looking over at him and he ends up losing because he wasn't focused and he was kind of trying to see what the competition was doing. And I think of it like that. I want to succeed and I want to be the best person for myself, but I don't need to be worried about what other people are doing. And, and that's just what works for me. I'm not saying that's what works for somebody else, but for me, the second I start comparing myself to other people, then you're, you could fall into that trap of feeling like, oh, well, I'm not good enough here, or, oh, I'm better than somebody here. And the, that's not the case on either aspect. And so I just feel like I just want to do the best of what I know is my best, and I have high expectations for myself. Um, and so for me, that's what I focus on. Well, I have to say you're a better woman than I, a bigger heart <laughs> Because when I go no. Shark Tank Steph, for the first couple of years, I was thinking of myself, I'm a team player. How do we get a good show going? How do we all work together? And then I got good at what I did by thinking, they're my competitors. And they're not grabbing the deal I want to get. And when I added that typical part of my personality from my previous career that I'm a competitor, I got better, a lot better. Okay. It all rose with us. So. I'm, I'm so going to have to take some notes from you. Listen, I look up to you, so I love hearing them. No, don't don't pay attention at all. You listen to your own thing. It's all working for you. Don't change a thing. But I, I'm a little bit envious because I think I'd enjoy my job a little more if I didn't think that, okay, the boom, the gate goes off. Here come the racehorses. Son of a gun, I'm going to run faster. You know, It creates a lot of stress in your life, as you could imagine, right? I will say it makes for a very fun show to watch, though, I have to say. Yeah. Very entertaining. Yeah. But I like them once the cameras are not rolling. They're my friends again, my good buds, you know. Yes, um, yes. But on, comp- on the note of competition, what about Dancing with the Stars? You went through eight weeks, and I don't think people can appreciate what leads up to the first week. Can you share with me, I've walked those shoes at least through the first week, what leads up before you're ready to perform on Dancing with the Stars? And how did you get yourself in shape? And what was the most difficult part of that? Well, yeah, so we started rehearsals uh, two weeks before the actual show. So I actually have been doing this process for 10 weeks. Um, And so it's, you know, I'd never danced anything before. My girlfriends would say, oh, we're going to do this cardio dance class. And I was like, nope, not for me. Um, I, you know, I would get that person. I would be that person that was turning the wrong way and I would just leave the class. So um, it was a, I had a lot to learn. The fact that I made it eight weeks has, has blown anyone that's known me in real life away. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it was very physically grueling. I was sore everywhere. It took a whole week until so many of the, you know, so many of the aches and pains have just gone away. So, um, but that being said, it was the time of my life and it was, you know, something that I'll never forget. I love, you know, dancing for five to six hours a day. And then all of a sudden you stop. I thought I would start to feel better. The the, net, the three days after the show ended were the sorest I had ever been, I think because I stopped working through the soreness each day and I just kind of hit a wall and stopped. <laughs> so you're catching me on finally, I'm starting to feel a little more like myself. So. Um, would you have, uh, you obviously don't regret saying yes, but I'm curious why you said yes in the first place. 
Well, it was terrifying, the thought of, you know, somebody that can't dance at all to, you know, and I, and I told you before, one of my fears is feeling like, you know, everyone's kind of judging you. And um, to do something that you know you're probably going to be bad at on such a grand scale feel, felt very scary. But that being said, uh, it hadn't been long since I, sorry to bring it back to my mom, but since I'd lost my mom and she was such a free spirit. And I remember some of my fondest memories was dancing with her in the living room as a kid. And, and I just knew in my heart, like, this is something that she would have loved for me to do. She would have been my biggest supporter. Mm-hmm. And I knew knowing that she, nobody would have loved me doing the show more than her. And she gave me little signs uh, throughout knowing that, um, that she was right there with me. And so it was one of those things that felt terrifying, but I knew that it was where I was supposed to be. So you've got to, um, I'm not sure you have the sexiest guy as your partner. Gleb, I would say is up there. Uh, maybe not as sexy as my, you know, well, I couldn't look at him without thinking, I hope I marry him one day, which was a sport. Wait, as, not as sexy as who? I missed who you said. Oh, Akio. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Could he have my babies? Then I realized I was in my 70s and that was unlikely, you know? Whatever. I'm so sad we didn't get Keo Barber babies. (laughs) (laughs) They would have looked great. (laughs) They would have been amazing. But I don't think people appreciate when you're dancing, uh, especially if you're not a dancer, and I had never danced in my life either. I loved it for the challenge of it. Um, but I don't think people realize how emotionally attached you get you to your partner. It's really, it's your whole life for that period of time, right? You really, it's just, it's just your t- entire focus. It's like you went to the army, but it was an army of joy and uh, emotional engagement, I think, right? So uh, obviously I, I heard, and it's so clear clear to me, even speaking to you, that uh, you had that, that uh, char- charisma certainly together. Anyone could see it on air. But, uh, but it was just a dancing relationship. But how upset were you when people were making those ridiculous accusations? Which only I happened. Mean, that's the, I wanted to put a gag on people. I'm like, what? I know. That's the heartbreaking part because I really just had the time of my life. And I hate that anything like this kind of muddies the experience a little bit because, um, you know, we did become really good friends. And I feel like we did have a chemistry out there on the dance floor that, you know, and I, I've worked in soap so long. So I realized once we started getting to the weeks where it was like, oh, I'm playing Cinderella. Oh, I'm playing Maleficent. Then the last week, it's like, oh, I'm playing, you know, it's like, I realized I did better when I played a character. And so I think for people to, to watch a dance and then translate that to anything inappropriate that happened off screen, is, it's just heartbreaking a little bit because, um, you know, I feel like uh, I, I, I married men are not my, like, I just came out of the most traumatic situation so doing something like that to me part of me is like really guys like what um so I I you know I really feel bad for them I wish them all the best I know how hard this is for them um but unfortunately you know being tied with that it's I just have to kind of wait it out I know it's not true hopefully people will see that um and there's nothing I can do I just you know it, it makes me very sad you no, know, Chriselle, I wouldn't give it a second's thought, honestly, ever again, like laugh at it and train yourself to laugh at it because it's the highest compliment that people are gossiping about you and imposing things on you that aren't true. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it is a compliment. 
you're interesting and they want the story to go on. They didn't want you gone on the eighth week. They want you to see you next week. So they're keeping your story going with whatever they have to go. I mean, it's so, so really ridiculous, right? Whatever. Thank you, Barbara. <laughs> but what a wonderful performance you gave. I mean, uh, one in particular, well, I won't go back there, but every performance was great, but I thought, I thought you were remarkable, really. And I'm shocked to hear that you had never danced. I thought you had some professional training in all the acting you did. And I don't think anyone w could have guessed that. Even at the get-go, you look good. You came out of that gate strong, I thought. I thought. I oh, could. my gosh. I love you, Barbara. You are the best. Thank you so much. My friends, we all watch it together. We, we were all agreeing, you know. But I think your personality uh, had half to do with your success on the show. I think your personality shone through all the time. And who, have you ever met anyone who didn't like you? I doubt it. Oh my gosh! No, well, that's definitely not true. Um, I have a, there's a whole show about <laughs> selling sunset, but um, uh, but that's very sweet. Thank you. So I feel like I have you know uh, such a supportive you know circle, and and that's the thing. It's like you know I feel like sometimes people think for whatever reason that this isn't me, and they want to you know, and and it is this is what you see is what you get, and sometimes people like it, sometimes people don't. Um, but I, you know, you just have to keep it moving, know who you are and, you know, yeah, keep I, that head up. <laughs> keep it moving type for sure. Okay. So now if you had a crystal ball, which none of us have, I kind of like to fantasize once in a while, but if you had a crystal ball and you could learn one thing about yourself in the future, what would your question be? I know what it is, but I don't know if I want to put it <laughs> I, at this point in my life, I would love to know if I had a crystal ball, am I going to be a mother? Because, oh. yeah. I, I'm going to answer your crystal ball. And I do read tarot cards. I'm annoyed with myself. I don't have them accessible here. They're at the office. But you've got to be a mother because you have so much love oozing out of every paw. You're going to need a big canvas to paint on. Of course, you're going to be an amazing oh. And it's just Barbara, don't give me the mom vibes. I'm going to cry. <laughs> my mom vibes are the best compliment to your own mother. Come on. Mom vibes are the so sweet. best feelings in the world. It's true love. The truest kind of love. Oh, I'm not. Uh, yeah, oh, without a doubt. I think I would ask that crystal ball. How many children will Michelle have? <laughs> oh, of course. My God. I had my first baby at 46 after seven in vitro attempts, my second at 56. And everybody, Did saw, you? Yeah, and everybody saw my kids said, what a beautiful grandchild you had. I learned to say, thank you. <laughs> Not even do any explaining anymore. No, of course. Good you're for you. I love hearing that. That's so amazing. Got plenty of time. Relax, relax, relax. Okay. <laughs> so what's next for Chriselle? What would you say? What's next? I can't even imagine. You probably have nine things. What? So, well, you know, Netflix likes to be in charge of making these announcements. So I have to be careful what I say of what's next. But if, you know, if we start filming that again, that'll be all systems go. And I'm about to close an escrow today. So I'm going to go ring that bell in the office when we're done. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I invest in real estate all over, this, all over the country. I'm very good at it, but I've never invested in L.A. What's the hot spot I should be investing in? You know, I always like to do the ones that are up and coming, you know, because that's really where you're going to get your money. And so a lot of times on the show, I've been the one talking about the valley and the valley has really, you know, gone up. And there now there are little pockets inside the valley, like Valley Glen, like the ones that, you know, what happens is they start to 
go this way where it's like, oh, only south of the boulevard. Well, that's not true anymore. And so now I know these little pockets where it's like in three years, this is going to be worth a lot more money. So um, yeah, there's, there's, I would say the pockets in the valley are the ones that are in three years time going to definitely skyrocket in worth. Promise me if you see an under the table deal that's so juicy and under market by about 30%, you won't tell anybody, but you'll tell me. Deal. <laughs> okay, it's a deal. Okay, where can people find you, Chriselle? Uh, Chriselle South on Instagram. I'm pretty um, active on, and then I think I'm Chriselle Seven on Twitter. Those are my only. I'm not cool enough to do TikTok or any of those things. I'm not on Facebook, but I'm on Twitter and Instagram, so um, that's where I'm at. Well, I think you've got to go on TikTok by the time the sun goes down today, and tell your story of growing up, and you will have a hundred thousand followers by tomorrow morning. You got to do that. Come on. You're just the type of person that every kid on TikTok is aspiring to be. You have to share that. You got to. Come on. Those kids aren't informed yet. They're going to want to be you. You're going to be powerful. Yeah. Okay. But don't forget to give me that. Very important to give me that deal. This is the top priority of this whole conversation. <laughs> always closing, Barbara. You're always closing. I love it so much. Just asking. Okay. <laughs> genuine. I think it's so obvious why people love you. It's mostly because you are yourself. 150%. I'm in love with you. I love you so much. Thank you. This has been such a pleasure. I really thank you for having me. You rubbed off on me. I'm feeling happier all day already. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Barbara. You are the best. Bye. You're the best. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.